Sisters and brothers, ladies and gentlemen, friends, neighbors, comrades, all citizens of the world, wherever you're going, wherever you've been, and wherever you're at, we welcome you to the Live from the Heartland show on Spotify Podcasts. New episodes air Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Michael James, encouraging you to take the chain from the brain to get back in the people's game, because it's time to move from the lower level to the higher, from the shallower to the deeper, from the one-sided to the many, and from the abstract to the concrete. So without further ado, let's get it on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Live from the Heartland show. I'm Michael James here in Chicago. We are recording this on the 5th of February for the week of February 10th. So I'd like to just share a little bit of one of these kind of raps like, hello and okay, my fellow Americans and all you citizens of the world. We are living in a very key time. There's a lots going on. There's a lot of challenges. We need to figure out how to take care of our own personal challenges and needs and also have time and energy and enthusiasm to go forward in helping to make a better world. In this case, specifically, I think we need to pay very close attention to making sure that we keep a certain person out of the White House and have a certain person stay in the White House. So get ready to work far and wide up and down the ballot for the, uh, the future of our country right now. We're going to have three guests today. We're going to have our monthly local to global with our producer, Tom Clark. We're going to get the latest on a local case of large institutions in contradiction with uh, small businesses and neighbors. That'll be with uh, Nathan Smith and Christian Abhalter of the Roman Susan Gallery. And we're going to have a little pre-Super Bowl sports and politics with Adam James out there in California. So a couple things I'd like to share. We hear a lot of gloom and doom about the election, about the results, you know, and people thinking who's going to win, who's not going to win. I want to share this from, from Newsweek. Not the, the most left-wing rag out there, but uh, has good information now and then. And I'm going to quote, Joe Biden has extended his lead over Donald Trump in a hypothetical 2024 matchup with the president, Joe Biden, receiving significantly more support from the potentially key independent demographic, according to the poll, the independents. While Trump is expected to clinch the 2024 nomination for the GOP, there have been frequent suggestions that the MAGA former president does not have enough support from the general population to win the election. And on that note, I would like to share that people know about that phony baloney George Santos, who's no longer in Congress. On February 3rd, that's a Tuesday, there's a special election in New York for the 3rd Congressional District to replace him, to replace Santos. If the Democrat Tom Souza, that's S-O-U-Z-Z-I, wins, that will send a great first race of the year message. People can make phone calls to get folks to the polls in New York by checking out what Swing Left and Indivisible have lined up. Once again, if you want to help on bringing that on home, Swing Left and Indivisible have ways that you can support, in this case, the Democrat in that election. 
Okay. On our take note for this week, I have a trait from the Texas Observer. And this, while this is about Texas, it's indicative of a broader thing. So take note. After four years of preparation and created in close consultation with educators, professors, and members of 14 Native American nations, a new curriculum about indigenous history was ready for Texas public schools. No longer would teachers talk about indigenous groups in the past tense. Instead, they'd acknowledge them as living, breathing cultures. Then, seemingly at the last moment, the State Board of Education chairman, a fellow named Aaron Kinsey, newly appointed by that right-wing governor, Greg Abbott, pulled the curriculum from the agenda. That's kind of an interesting one. Texas has a lot of problems, but there are a lot of good people out there, and we have a lot of hope for what goes on out there. Okay, another good thing this week. I got to attend a wonderful event at the Chicago Center for Photojournalism. It's a gallery at 1226 West Wilson. And the exhibit that's up and probably is down by now was one Shaw. And he has just some beautiful photographs. He was a film teacher, professor at University of Illinois, Chicago. And it turns out he also took a lot of stills. And this is a beautiful book. and. His was a great exhibit. But the reason I went there was because a fellow named Mirko Papadik, uh, who was a student of Hans Schall, had his videos up, short, choppy videos that were used in organizing in Uptown in the 70s. A lot of people involved with the organization of the Northeast, et cetera. Anyhow, it was a great program. I got to see great photos, picked up a book, talked to a number of people, and got to see the films of Mirko Papadik. And I met the director of the gallery. It's a nice place, and you should check out their hours and go and visit. For all you sports fans who are waited with bated breath for, for our sports report, later on in the show, my cousin Adam James, who played football at Northwestern, is going to give us a little bit of pre-Super Bowl politics and sports information. Okay, I got one more thing. I took a wonderful train ride to Waukegan from Rogers Park to Waukegan. My old friend Pat Sturgis picked me up, and we went over to meet up with our, our friend Junebug Boykin. That's uh, Jack Boykin Jr. Some of you who go way back know about him from Joint Community Union and the early Young Patriots. He's a wonderful guy. He and his wife, Marita, and I and Patrick, we had a good time. It was great to see an old friend, and if you're getting older like me, you want to make sure you start seeing all your old pals often as you can. With that said, we're going to be back with a pal. Very shortly, stay tuned here on the left end of your dial. You're listening or viewing live from the heartland for the week of February 10th. And we will be right back. Hey, everybody, all you citizens of the world, welcome back to Live from the Heartland for the week of February 10th. And once again, I'm Michael James up here in the 49th Ward. And it always brings me a lot of pleasure to bring on someone who knows a lot more than I do. The journalist, the analyst, the commentator, the co-producer of this show, the one and only Tom Clark. And once again, 
We're going to talk to Tom how he views things from the local to the global. So hello there, Tom, and let's take it away. Hello, Michael. Good to see you again. Good to see you. I've been seeing you a lot lately. It's always good. Um, you watched the Grammys last night? I did, in part because our good friend Lynn Orman uh, had a couple of her clients up for awards, and Bobby Rush, I think, got one. But um, I was uh, it was kind of by accident that we tuned it in late in the show. And I got to say, I was totally moved to tears with uh, Brandi Carlisle's introduction of apparently her good friend and mentor, Joni Mitchell, who then at 80 years old pulled off an incredible rendition with like a six piece orchestra uh, backing her up with with musicians also singing with her uh, both sides now, which was a high school song for me. Uh, our folk group had it in its repertoire. So it was it was a very moving moment across the generations. And uh, if that's what award shows are about these days, then I'm all for it. Well, I got to watch a little of it. That was after we watched the really scary True Detective that's on. Uh, but more on that later. Let's go to Chicago. Let's start out in our beloved city. And, uh, you know, as you know, and you're going to talk about, uh, and as Katie Hogan talked about recently on our show, we have a, an opportunity to make a real challenge to the homeless question by bringing Chicago home. Tell us what that's all about. This is a very important initiative that's on the ballot and, and the best reason in the world uh, for this primary in March to uh, show up and vote. Uh, this would change the real estate transfer tax and produce a dedicated revenue stream for homeless programs that such like the city has never had. It's estimated that as much as $100 million might be generated by this tax, which actually is tiered as a progressive tax. Most of us homeowners will actually see a slight reduction, which only takes effect when you sell your place. This is not something, it's not your property tax. It happens when there's a transaction. Um, homes that are worth, or properties that are worth more than a million will pay a little more, and properties that are worth over 1.5 million will pay a little bit more than that. The real estate industry would have you believe that uh, this is going to bring calamity to the city and ru ruin the market and all that. But most of us see it as an opportunity for the more wealthy to pay their fair share to take care of a chronic problem, which is the lack of proper resources for the homeless. And it's brought home to bear even more given the so-called migrant crisis that we have because there just isn't room in the shelters. Um, or in the uh, transitional housing that's been developed over the years for people who are near homeless. So this is a major opportunity to affect the bottom of the ladder in a way that uh, has the top of the ladder paying more of their fair share. As we like the fair share idea. It doesn't always happen in this state, but uh, this might be the one. Uh, and it will really make a difference for a lot of people. And it's not going to hurt any of us, some of the wealthier people. Uh, may grumble a little bit, but uh, let them grumble. Um, let's uh, talk a little bit more about Chicago. You know, we have, uh, you and I both worked hard for electing Brandon Johnson. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff. He's taken a lot of heat. He's getting his feet wet, uh, wetter and wetter. Uh, what do you got to say about our mayor? Is the honeymoon over? I'm not sure he ever had a honeymoon. He inherited a bunch of problems. Um, I don't want to put that all at Lori Lightsaber's feet, but she certainly did not prepare the city well for what was an obvious looming crisis with newcomers being sent up from Texas 
And that problem is just exacerbated in the months since. Um, Brandon got off to a pretty good start with uh, a majority of the city council voting for a reorganization of committees. And later in the year, he got a balanced budget passed, although people complain he used a lot of one-time tricks to do that. But it's real clear that the migrant crisis has brought to a head a lot of uh, underlying tensions, I'm afraid to say, between the black and brown community. And um, he's basically lost uh, regular support of the black caucus, which is ironic. Um, I've, I've been in several conversations recently, particularly with knowledgeable uh, journalists who are really complaining about his lack of transparency, something that he ran on, that his government will be one of the most open ones around. And yet most of us found out about meetings with a Jerry Reinsdorf to build a new Sox park really after the fact. Um, and uh, we still don't know really what got discussed or what commitments the mayor might have made. He's also made nice noise about helping the Bears with the new stadium on the lakefront. Well, we've already been through that battle with the Lucas Museum, and I'm afraid that the mayor you know, doesn't want to have uh, teams leaving town on his watch, but he doesn't have much left in the cupboard to be buying sports stadia for billionaires. And I I'm just very perturbed that uh, we don't know more about what kind of deal-making he might be doing on that. Um, I, I, I think that... Um, the lack of transparency is something that's going to hurt his progressive image, even with the recent vote around the ceasefire in Gaza, where he cast the deciding tie vote. And that, of course, is exacerbating tensions between uh, progressives and one might say the Palestinian Arab community and the Jewish community, which is not insignificant in the city. So um, he has a whole hot kitchen that he's trying to operate in right now. And as one of our progressive leaders from the South Side said, maybe he wasn't quite ready to run government. We we are still waiting for some major appointments to get made. And what are we now? Uh, eight months into his administration, it's uh, it it's definitely honeymoon is overtime. And I'm hoping in this new year he's able to get uh, his act together a little better. Well, I hope so too. I'm rooting for him. Uh... I do. I'm really concerned about the kind of the split between uh, African American aldermen and Latinos over, you know, the migrant crisis or the refugee crisis or the asylum crisis, whatever we want to call it. Newcomers. Uh, newcomers. This country and, has know, been built on newcomers. We all came from somewhere else at some point, and I don't know why that point's not made more frequently. Yeah, and we are we are a sanctuary city, although that doesn't affect the sanctuary part of it, but a lot of people, uh, you know, are just a little grumbling going on. But on the other hand, I think that we've been a welcoming city to so many people over time, and I hopefully we come out on the good side of this. We'll see. <laughs> Indeed. Let's go, let's go to, uh, what's, what do you want to do next? You want to go to uh, the border? You want to go to around the world? Where do you want to go? Well, I would love to go to the border to get into Mexico uh, during this winter, although we've had a pretty mild winter. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the presidential campaign, because some people think the GOP side is already over with, which it may well be. And the Republican Party seems to have fallen uh, uh, into ranks behind a twice impeached, um, uh, four times indicted former president um, who just scares the bejeepers out of me. Um, uh, 
he he has no ethical base. Uh, he's he's the leader of a cult, which I see as a bunch of lemmings ready to jump over the cliff for him. And um, I also think, though, that despite the national polls and all that, that it's really too early to pay attention to the racehorse style coverage that we're getting right now from the media. Um, because most people are just trying to get by day to day. They're not paying much attention to this election yet. I think there are a lot of good signs for Sleepy Joe, who, of course, um, despite the age complaints that we're hearing, which can apply to Trump as well, he's gotten a boatload of stuff done. And it yeah. shows that a good leader picks good uh, uh, people to manage stuff around him and get a lot done. And um, what he got done in the first two years of his administration is quite frankly amazing, given the split Congress he's been living with. And it's even more split now where there is a huge compromise in Congress that the Senate produced around border uh, issues that would also help Ukraine and Israel with, and, and uh, even Chicago in terms of coping with, with the migrant so-called crisis. Um, and um, this measure could probably easily pass the Senate, but um, the House uh, uh the House Speaker is saying, no, it's not going to it's going to be dead on arrival. Why? Because uh, candidate Trump says he wants to keep immigration as a live election issue and would just as soon kill off this compromise. The whole purpose of governance, particularly in Congress, of course, is to go back and forth over issues. And you you end up in the middle someplace uh, in compromise. And that's how we get stuff done. It doesn't seem to be the way the GOP wants to operate anymore. Uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm really happy that that bill might, even if it were to get passed, about what we give away on the border questions. Um, I know that Chewy Garcia, when he was on the show, basically was critical of, uh, I think it was Murphy, the senator from Connecticut, because uh, on the Senate working on this 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 thing, have not uh, included anyone from the Latino caucus in the House, et cetera. So I'm not, I, in a way, I was, when, when the orange-haired guy said, don't go for it, I was saying, oh, that might be all right. We still got to deal with Israel and in uh, Ukraine. Anyhow. Well, um, ironically, the House is coming up with a bill today for direct support of Israel, but um, the offset would be cutting back more on the IRS, which, of course, we were trying to beef up that budget so that they could go after wealthy tax cheats. Collect more money. Like Miss, maybe Mr. Trump. Um, he's really had a terrible time in court. And uh, the irony is he hasn't paid out a dime of the fines and other things or even the $50 million in legal fees because he keeps having members of his cult sending him 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. All of his uh, legal expenses and probably the fine that he's been assessed over the defamation case are going to be paid for by donors. I mean, this guy has been uh, a loan shark kind of wheeler dealer his whole career, and he's doing it now in politics. It's just it's astonishing to me. Yeah, I like to think that uh, and I did talk at the beginning of the show, which you didn't hear yet. Uh, that uh, things do look good for Biden. Uh, there was a, a poll recently around the independents, and the independents are breaking uh, not as much for Trump as he would hope. We are getting more independents breaking toward Biden, which would be a good sign. 
the economy is strong. The Federal Reserve is about ready to, to lower interest rates. Um, uh, job creation's been phenomenal. Unemployment rates are the lowest it's been in years. Um, uh, we have significant investments in dealing with climate change and alternative energy uh, that has manufacturers booming all over the place. It, it really is a pretty fascinating backdrop to this, well, he's too old to get anything done. Um, I suspect as we get closer to the election, we'll find out that when people have a choice between these two old men, they're going to go with the guy that got a lot done the last few years. And um, I, I, think, think, I, I think you can read the tea leaves in the polls and find that even though people dis, dislike having these two guys running against each other again, uh, most people would, would rather have Biden than Trump. Well, one of the challenges to Biden is how is the handling of uh, the war in the Middle East, uh, you know, uh, Israel, Palestine, that whole question. Um, you know, we've seen uh, across the country a clear shift in the support for Israel, particularly as they continue to bombard and uh, go into Gaza. We got close to 30,000 dead there now. Um, it's a real challenge for Biden in handling this, as you pointed out. Uh, He's, you know, in Michigan, the Palestinians have been critical. I don't think they would vote for Trump, but the question is turning them out. What do you got to think about that Middle East stuff? Well, it, it goes beyond just Palestinians. I think the stalwart support for Israel, particularly the current regime, is going to hurt them amongst Arab voters in general. And that's a significant voting bloc uh, beyond just Palestinians in Michigan, which is a critical swing state. Um, one reason we're getting the convention here in Chicago is to try to influence Wisconsin and Michigan to have that that, that blue circle, I think they call it, uh, solid for Joe. He needs those three states uh, if he's going to succeed. And if we lose Michigan because of disagreements over the Gazan War, well, he, he cooked his own recipe on that, as far as I'm concerned. And like Hillary, who ignored Wisconsin in a campaign that she should have won, in fact, she had more popular votes. Um, Seven million. Uh, but, but you know, she, she ignored Wisconsin, and that's a state that we shouldn't have lost. Um, I, I don't want to recook that one uh, back eight years ago. Or, yeah, eight years ago. Um, Twelve years ago now. Um, Time but I, I do think we need to, to watch closely how things might pan out in Michigan. Um, I do think the UAW endorsement, uh, which goes beyond just Michigan voters, but that's still a significant center for the auto industry, is a very positive note for uh, Biden. And yeah, if Taylor Swift comes along again, that that won't hurt either. Uh, those cultural. Well, we'll hear more from Adam James a little later on that. He follows it closely. Taylor Swift and Kelsey, and what's going on in football. Uh, you know, Tom, when we were talking before we started uh, recording. Uh, you said that you had some of your friends on Facebook had been critical of you because of your, uh, you know, questioning of the the uh, the war in the Middle East and the Palestinian Gaza situation. Uh, do you want to share any of that? Well, as someone who volunteered on a kibbutz 50 years ago when I was in college, um, I don't consider myself uh, anti-Semite by any stretch of the imagination. But somehow criticizing the current government regime and its reaction to 
the the real tragedy of October seventh, um, it really the reaction has really been overreach, and um, I think the best thing that could happen for both uh, Israelis as well as Palestinians is to bring a pause to the fighting, um, to bring a pause to Israel's bombard bombardment, which has clearly affected thousands of civilians disproportionately to what Israelis lost. And if you look at a map of uh, the country of Gaza, which, by the way, is very similar in size and population to Chicago, it's been devastated. Uh, there's hardly anything left. Uh, the rebuilding that's going to have to happen, if that's allowed someday, is just going to be astronomical. And I just think it's time for us to reset and relook at this. And, um, you know, I've, I've tried my best to be sympathetic to both sides, but it, 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 it seems to be something that still raises a lot of suspicion about uh, how much support one might have for Israel. Yeah, it's an ongoing question. I'm sure we're dealing with. I'm on a, a bunch of old SDS people, Students for Democratic Society, and the stuff is going back and forth on it. Tom, we'll run out of time, so I want to take this opportunity to uh, uh, create what I think we should call honor the organizers, because we have a lot of people that we know are passing on to the Great Spirit Land, and one of them who we talked about last week was the organizer Lou Kreinberg. Lou was a unique organizer, uh, in part because of the turf he worked most of his career, which was on the west side, his, he used to always say the best side. A lot of that was in Lawndale from 66 when Martin Luther King came here to many other uh, battles over the years. He was very involved with trying to defeat gentrification in Pilsen, as well as going after the Carpenters Union for not accepting people of color into the apprenticeship program. and. Um, as someone who helped found, along with Rabbi Marx, the Jewish Council on Urban Affairs, he just uh, stands head and shoulders above a lot of other veteran organizers I know who have done great work over the years, but the campaigns he took on were pretty phenomenal, including one that I knew a lot about, which was challenging Mayor, uh, Mayor Jane Burns' plans for a World's Fair in 1992. We began looking at the... the uh, the backdrop of those proposed plans and found a lot of holes in the early 80s and did a series of stories, which Lou was my main source for, because he could dig out documents left and right that people didn't know where they were buried. And he, he really had to push us because it wasn't popular to oppose the World's Fair, but in fact, we helped defeat it. Right on. And long live Lou Kreinberg. You can all find more out about him if you Google his name, Lou, L-E-W, Kreinberg, K-R-E-I-N-B-E-R-G. And long live Tom Clark, who uh, imparts a lot of uh, information at, in one little dose. Thank you, Tom. Thank and you, I'll Michael. See you in the neighborhood soon, everybody else. You stay tuned. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about an ongoing contradiction here in the neighborhood. Uh, our large uh, landowner and uh, a wonderful place, uh, Loyola University, versus some small businesses on a location where Loyola now owns the property and has other plans. Be right back. Though the road be dark and dreary, the pathway burning and dry, feel like really needing us on, girl, we can make it if we try. The winds may rage, the storms may blow, discouragement at each day. No guiding light to lead us forward, no helping that come up in. 
Hey, hey, all you citizens of the world. Welcome back for more Live from the Heartland for the week of February 10th in the year 2024. And again, I'm Michael James, your host today. And uh, I'm bringing on uh, two people. One of them has been on the show before, but both of them do great work in the community. They are uh, the two people who have made possible the Roman Susan Gallery. And I am talking about Kristen Albhalter, if I said it right, and Nathan Smith. And they have a, a gallery, and we have learned that Loyola has now bought the building, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Hello to you two. Hello. How are you doing, Michael James? Good to see you. <laughs> well, you, uh, you've been running this little art gallery for a while, and it's named after, uh, I think, uh, Kristen's grandparents. Um, and you really have, once again, created, along with Archie's, a wonderful history in the neighborhood uh, in a corner that was not well uh, developed or tended to for a long time. But it's really lively. It's been wonderful. Tell us a little bit about your current situation. Sure. So um, um, in 2012 is when I started Roman Susan. Um, mostly because I found this great little tiny storefront in this funny shaped building right behind the CTA. And I live really close by and I have a history of um, being involved in theater design. And when I lived in Minneapolis, I was part of a collective art space called Art of This. And since I was a Chicago resident, and I was going to art shows all the time. I thought, how come I have to bike across the city to find something fun to do? <laughs> and I wanted something where I live. I wanted something close. And and I feel like there's a legacy of great spaces in Rogers Park. And I thought there needs to be a space to celebrate and share the work of artists. And, and it wasn't exactly what I set out to do, but I feel like the space provided the opportunity and the people I met in involved with um, exhibiting their artwork have create helped me create my life and helped me helped us create our relationship and um we feel like we bring a lot of joy to people who get to see the work in our space. Well, I've, I've really gotten to like you guys a lot. I've been to a couple of events over there and then you had one uh, where we ended up talking uh, to a group of other people. And then you did sponsor a book signing uh, for my latest book uh, on rising up angry. You did that at Burger park, but uh, I really appreciate the effort. And, you know, I had been going by Archie's and you weren't always open there. I didn't know that much about you, but Archie's turned out to be the closest thing to the late great beloved Heartland Cafe, which I was involved with for 36 years. Um, and, you know, she got a liquor license and she got, uh, she has art on the walls and they have an outdoor cafe and they've got music going all the time and some great food. Uh, so between the two of you, and I think there's even another little storefront um, it's been great. And Loyola tore down the building across the street. There's plenty of room to build. 
what do you know about their plans right now or what's happening to you and to Archie's? So talk about that. Yeah, I can talk about that. So in in late December, Loyola bought the building after a season of sort of leading up to it and closing the on the sale. And we are, you know, we are optimistic and initially hopeful that the change in landlords could bring like real positive resources to the building, the people that live there, the, you know, small businesses that have sprouted up. Um, in the last week, there was an article published in the Loyola Phoenix by a student there named Haley Gates. And it reflected the current thinking of the university, which was that they they intend to let everyone's leases end and then give non-renewal notice. And then when everyone's out of the building, they intend to tear it down. Um, we are hopeful that if they that they may have a change of mind or at least a change of timeline. Currently, we have the longest lease in the building to September 2025. Uh, other people's leases are up way sooner. Some people who have lived there for decades have already gotten notice that they need to be moving out in the spring. Uh, the university said it does not have plans for the land. So they're going to tear a building down that houses 30 households and these three businesses and seemingly do what they've done all around it, which is leave it vacant. So we're hopeful that they could, you know, it, there's a possible conversation in there. They have resources. There's different ways they could deploy the resources. Like in the last week, we reached out to them and asked them to consider having Lakeside Management, which is their real estate company offer affordable housing to the tenants in the building that need to leave the affordable housing that's there mm -hmm. and to consider letting people, people whose leases are coming up, allow them to go month to month after it. And at least until our lease is up, because, you know, the person that we were talking to who got notice, they've lived there for 24 years. They, they're asking them to move out in four months, uh, but our lease is 15 months longer than that. So they're gonna leave an empty apartment there. And that does, that seems like maybe it's just an oversight and we're hopeful that they'll consider, you know, allowing people more time to make that transition, but that's sort of where it is right now. Have you had a conversation with them uh, or do you have, does it look like you'll be able to do it anymore? And what would you need from the community uh, in terms of like letters of support, petitions, any of that kind of thing? Uh, we started the conversation with a message that we had sent to some of their departments. So we're circulating an open message, which is on our website, romansusan.org. So if you are considering writing a letter, individual letters are wonderful, but people can also sign on to ours and add their comments to it. And we will convey all of those. How do they do that? How do people reach you? Uh, it's on our website right now. So if you go to our homepage, it's on the front. Or romansusan.org. Yep. Romansusan.org. Yep. Okay, good. Yeah, you know, before we the show came on or before we started recording, we uh uh you know, we have a situation where we have to be appreciative of a lot of stuff about Loyola, what it brings to the community. I've had my differences over many years, and of course this show is that its home base is the Loyola Station, WLUW. Um, so I hope they don't kick us off. But um, 
I think that they haven't been as transparent as we would like them to be. And I would just say that um, it's a it would be a missed opportunity for them to do good in the community. Um, we got a couple of minutes left. Any more thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's basically, you know, we know that things change and we know that sometimes you've got to move on. But I feel like they do have values that seem to reflect wanting to serve the community. So we're basically just sort of like leaning on that and saying, hey, how about we figure out a way to maintain naturally occurring affordable housing in Rogers Park and also maintain the diversity and culture and experiences that happen in this location and also think about sustainability in terms of the environment and and like what happens when you tear down buildings and i think all those issues are really important to a lot of people right now and if anybody has the money and the power and the resources to think about those issues creatively, it's a university like Loyola. And so it's, you know, that's why we're raising our voices. We're artists. We don't solve problems, but we like to, you know, we we solve creative problems and we care about design and we care about our community and we care about what happens and what has what has been able to happen because of this location and the people around it because we really prioritize our engagements with people who live close to us well you know what happens in a lot of neighborhoods is uh when they get a little run down and there was a time rogers park had elements of that uh you do get a lot of kind of like hip businesses and uh, artists moving in you know that was certainly true uh, in my own experience with the Heartland Cafe, uh, you know, and then you, as the more and more artists move in, you know, that's kind of the advance guard for the gentrification. And we do see that here, you know, in Rogers Park. We People move here because it's real diverse. They like that. They don't necessarily like diversity in terms of class as much. Race is, ethnicity is better. But then uh, you, you have... Uh, you know, the growth of the Rogers Park business builders, you know, with all these builders who are not from the neighborhood. Uh, you know, I get calls for my property where I live. Uh, people wanted to buy it outright to tear it down. Um, you know, and it's like this is an issue that a lot of people need to pay attention to, because while you, an institution like Iola does lots of good, it also could do better if it paid more attention to the community. We got about three minutes left. Give us your your best here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one thing that's really relevant to me is that in the experience of having the opportunity to run this space and meet so many people in the community and creative artists across the city, we've learned a ton. And I think that's a real opportunity for Loyola University. There are funny little storefronts here that are not perfect, 
One of them has been empty since maybe six months before they started to sell the building. Like that would be an amazing student incubation project because it isn't, it isn't tailor-made for anything. You have to figure it out and you've got to respond to the site. And I think that there's an opportunity to learn from responding to the site and not just raising things to the ground and starting fresh. And that that's what we're hopeful for, that there's, you know, an opportunity for resources to go to the people that are already there, learning opportunities for students, and all that can happen without, you know, scorching or tearing out the grassroots of the community at the same time. Nathan and Kristen, let me ask you, uh, you know, we, we're fans of our alderwoman, Maria Haddon. Have you spoken with Maria about this? Is she aware of it? Is she in any way stepping in as a broker or anything? Um, we have plans to meet with her. And we've, and I mean, I think that she is on our side. Um, and I do think that, you know, we've been supported by the city and by private funders to give us money for um, for the entire time we've been a nonprofit, which is 2016. And we, you know, we provide free programming. Everything in our space is free and open to the public. And that's a really important, you know, one of the people who came to our space the other day was saying, you know, it's really rare to find a place where I can go and do something social without having to spend money. And that, you know, we do that and we also have managed to figure out a way to pay artists to make their work instead of pay artists or, you know, instead of having them exist on a, an economy where their work has to be sold. And I think that, you know, we're, we have, um, we're hoping to talk to Maria Haddon, um, Roberta, Maggie, and also have support from um, State Senator Mike Simmons, because his mom used to run the salon that was next door to Roman Susan and named the street after her. So Ramona Rouse Honorary Way. Um, so yeah, I think there is a lot of support behind us and um, between Archie's community and the Roman Susan community, and everybody in Rogers Park who values this resource, I think we can all work together to remind Loyola to be responsible and also be communicative. Well, we hope so. And if people want to know more, they get a hold of you two. That would be Kristen Obhalter and Nathan Smith at the RomanSusan.org. Or is it Roman Susan? Just RomanSusan.org. Yeah. R-O-M-A-N-S-U-S-A-N dot O-R-G. Yep. Come on, brother and sister. Thanks for coming on, and I'll come see you soon. Cool. Great. Thank you. It's great to Everybody see you. Everybody else, stay here, tuned here on the left end of your dial. We're going to be right back in momentarily with Adam James, a little politics and sports uh, as we close out this edition of Live from the Heartland.
Okay, all you citizens of the world, time to get near the end of the show. We're going to bring on my cousin, Adam James, who played football at Northwestern. We've talked a lot about that and the tearing down of Dyke Stadium in the past. Today, we're going to get a little bit on the Grammys, on the pro, on the Super Bowl, and any politics that he wants to connect to that. Hello, Adam. Hello, everybody. It's great to see you, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on Live from the Heartland. Out there in California. So what do you got? Well, of course, the Grammys um, happened over the weekend. A great show, amazing events. Um, I know you touched on a couple of those topics earlier. I wanted to mention, you know, part of my work in the media entertainment field is I also represent the Latin Grammys, um, and I work with the um, um, media company that produces the program book. So I've had the honor to work with some of the great music companies and uh, performers. Last night's show was terrific. One thing I thought was really fascinating is how a lot of the more um, uh, less less centralized formats of music are often misrepresented, misunderstood by the Academy. Uh, even Jay-Z made a joke last night where he said about how a lot of people are in categories they don't, they shouldn't be in. And he paused and he goes, I'm sorry, I tell the truth when I'm nervous. Thought it was really funny. <laughs> uh, one genre that is continuing to be misunderstood is the hard rock or heavy metal scene. Um, years ago, they finally created a hard rock metal category and gave the award to Jethro Tull. So it just goes to show how that uh, academy continues to miss on that topic. Uh, we hope that they'll better understand it and better categorize the hard rock heavy metal scene in the future. How um, about the Super Bowl? Yes, in regards to the Super Bowl, that's uh, coming up this weekend. I know when this show airs, uh, it'll be the day before the Super Bowl, so I hope everybody's got all their, their snacks ready and they're ready for the big game. Should be a really fun game this year. Um, it's two teams that came together. Uh, both star-laden, lots of big names on both teams. Mike, you're familiar with, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs. They're yeah. the defending, defending Super Bowl champion. They've got that star quarterback, Mahomes, uh, the tight end, who's probably going to go down in history as the greatest tight end in the history of the National Football League. I mean, he's that good. Uh, definite Hall of Famer, setting all kinds of records. And, of course, he's Dave Singer, who was performing at the Grammys just the other night. Uh, but, you know, there's a guy on the Chiefs who's probably even better than both those guys. I'm a former defense lineman, so, you know, I look for those defense alignment players, those elite players. There's a guy named Chris Jones. And for those of us who played the line, whether you're offensive or defensive lineman, you'll look for those kind of players who are just elite, uh, like Aaron Donald here in Los Angeles for the Rams. So if you're watching the game, watch out for 95 for the Chiefs. Great, great player. On the other side of the ball, you've got uh, the amazing San Francisco 49ers, one of the great teams of NFL history. Five championships are going for their sixth Super Bowl this, this year. Um, lots of star players there. It's Christian McCaffrey, an amazing running back, uh, possibly the offensive player of the year. Uh, they just got so many stars in that team. Uh, Debo uh, Samuel, uh, George Kittles, um, Trent Williams, the offensive tackle, one of the great offensive linemen in history. But the story that a lot of people are watching is that quarterback. And Michael, you're familiar with um, his story, how he was the Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. So he went from being the the last guy drafted to starting the entire season because of injuries and having an amazing year, then tearing his UCLA and his throwing arm in the championship game last year to come back off of that surgery and have one of the all-time great seasons for a quarterback. I mean, think about it this way. He just set the record for the all-time stats for the San Francisco 49ers which if you think about it, they had a quarterback named Steve Young and some other Joe Montana guy. Anyway, so for this guy, Purdy, to be putting up these kind of numbers, it just goes to show he is really, really special, having an amazing year, uh, start to his career. 
somebody made the comment to go from Mr. Irrelevant to the Super Bowl champion two years later, it would be a pretty remarkable accomplishment. So one last thing I'll share with you about this Super Bowl that I think for those of us who are Raider fans will get a kick out. You know, the Raiders have two main rivals. I mean, there's a lot of teams that hate the Raiders and the Raiders hate them back. But the two main teams are the 49ers that shared the Bay Area for so long with the Oakland version of the Raiders. And then the Chiefs. There's just something about red. Whenever the Raiders see red. So this Super Bowl is going to be in the Raiders' new stadium, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it's going to have the Chiefs logo on one side and the 49ers logo on the other. Raider fans are going to be going nuts. <laughs> Adam, there's a lot of politics uh, going on around this. Uh, the, you know, Kelsey, uh, you know, the end for uh, the Chiefs is going out with Taylor Swift. What do you got on that? And uh, all the right wing freak out about it. Well, yes, you know, um, clearly there's a relationship going on there. And they're two very famous people. So, um, you know, we want to give them their space, let them have their private lives. But they are putting it out there a little bit. So people are commenting on it. And uh, and Taylor Swift is one who leans a little left. Um, she endorsed some dem uh, some Democratic candidates in her home state of Tennessee um, and then did endorse Biden in the last election. So there is a lot of circulation that she very likely will come out and endorse. He um, was in an ad and he took heat for it for getting the vaccine. Correct. Yes. Which is amazing that people who are endorsing scientific facts um, get heat. But yes, he you know, he did endorse um, the or promote rather the value of getting vaccinated. And uh, I think that, you know, there are some people out there that are going to be angry about a lot of things. And it's unfortunate that he got a lot of heat for that because it's, it's a good cause, encouraging people to get educated on vaccinations and choose to do so if they'd like to. Well, you got anything else? <laughs> so, yes, of course, the big question about that relationship is, will she endorse Biden at the Super Bowl? Will they win the Super Bowl? <laughs> you know, it does add some intrigue. Personally, I'm a, I'm a sports fan first and foremost. I want to watch that game, have a good time. Um, I'd like to hear her opinion on that, but it's not going to change mine. Um, I encourage those who are well-known to encourage others to vote, not necessarily to give their opinion on who they think is the right candidate, but just say, you know what, get out there, educate yourself, make sure you're registered, and make sure you vote, because that's how we're going to all make a difference in this world. Adam James, I'm going to uh, thank you once again for coming on live from the heartland. And uh, it's always good to see your face early in the morning like this. And uh, I know you had to get up earlier than me, and I will talk to you soon. Fantastic. Thank you again for having me on the show. Have a great day, everybody. Right on. And yeah, you keep working on your film. Tell us the name of your film in the works and how people get it. Oh, yes. Um, the program is called Doc Savage, Man of Copper. We're going to be releasing it coming up in just a few months. Uh, but don't have the announcement yet on the exact platform, but that'll be coming very soon. Please check out our website for up-to-date information, docsavage.com, but that's doc with a K and savage with a U. So it's D-O-K-S-A-U-V-A-G-E, docsavage.com. Okay there, man of copper. I'll see you. <laughs> Thanks again. Everybody else, we want to thank you for tuning in to Live from the Heartland. We're going to wrap it up now. Here's a little bit of information. Last week, we had the incomparable David Boykin on talking about his jazz as well as his activity in police community relations. And we also had the host of the RAG Radio out of uh, Austin, Texas on Co-op, K-O-O-P. And that was uh, two good interviews. Uh, sad note in memoriam, Wayne Kramer of the MC5, who I met a few times. He was quite a rocker. He passed away and um, you can find out an awful lot about him that I didn't know if you just Google his name. 
And I want to thank everybody who made this show possible. I want to thank our producers, Katie Hogan, Tom Clark, Lynn Orman. I want to thank our engineer, Hal James. I want to thank our guest, Tom Clark, the people from Roman Susan Gallery, and Adam James. And we will be back next week following my little sign-off. You can get all the information about where you can watch or listen to the show. You keep doing good in the world because the world needs all the good that you do, that I do, that we do together. All power to the people. Over and out. See you next week. We want to thank you for tuning in to the Live from the Heartland show on Spotify Podcasts. New episodes air every Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time. You can listen on Apple Podcasts by looking up Live from the Heartland. Episodes are broadcast on WLUW each Saturday at 9 a.m. on the left end of your dial, 88.7 FM in Sweet Home, Chicago, or streaming everywhere worldwide at WLUW.org. If you want to tune in a day early, episodes are broadcast on Lumpin' Radio Fridays at 9 a.m. on 105.5 FM and streaming at lumpinradio.com. Video episodes are available on Fridays beginning at 9 a.m. on youtube.com slash heartlandmedia and also on Can TV each following Thursday at 9 p.m. on Channel 21 or streaming everywhere else at cantv.org. I'm Michael James, and I'm glad to have been your host. Until next time, remember, do good in the world because the world needs all the good that you do, that I do, that we do together. All power to the people. Over and out. Come to limb. Are you doing the best you can? Tell me, are you doing?